Good morning. Hey, uh, to let you guys know, so this morning we have a, uh, an exciting guest uh, with us this morning. We've been going through the summer and we've been looking at everyday stories from the life of Jesus. And I've been sharing this series with a cohort of other preachers, the other voices from our own congregation. And um, you guys are getting used to that. So you're thinking, why don't we do this all the time? Because, you know, Van, you're okay, but seriously, I mean, some of these guys. So, um, so it's been good, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have, the time off a little bit. But, uh, but uh, this morning, we have Harry Bonham uh, to come and share the word, and he is with us. He is the last of our cohort uh, preachers, and so uh, I hope that you will welcome him warmly. But before we do that, on his way up, um, in case some of you guys don't remember, last year we were all at home, we were kind of trapped at home, and so we tried to be creative with some of the stuff, and so Harry, instead of preaching, um, gave some of his other talents, and so we have some uh, clips that we might, that we're going to introduce him through, just to remind you, let's welcome Harry up. Oh, Polly, can you believe it? We've been looking for a thing for how many weeks? And we finally found it. I didn't know what he was going to show. But I do know that I've been here for 20 plus years, my wife and I. And unfortunately, I think of all the things I've done at Christ Church over those 20 years, I think that's what they're going to remember me by. I just, <laughs> which is not good. But anyway. Hey, good morning, Christchurch family um, and guests and friends. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here and those online, welcome. We're glad you joined us. And for those who may not know me, especially out there, my name is Harry, um, and Prue and I have been at Christchurch for a little over 20 plus years. And over those 20 plus years, I've had many opportunities to share God's word with my church family. And I do consider that time extremely valuable to me, and a privilege and an honor to, to share God's word with my church family. But if this is your first time visiting Christ Church or first time online, then I'm going to ask a favor of you. Please don't make any conclusions about Christ Church because through me, and, and come back next week when you'll get to hear our senior pastor, Van Trapp, who is in fact a gifted preacher. So if you'd please stand, we're going to read from God's word. Starting in Matthew, if you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew 14, 22 through 33, or you can look to the screen. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And then when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that your Spirit fill this place with your glory, that you help me deliver your message that we need to hear today. Open our hearts to hear, our minds to comprehend, and our hearts to change where needed. Thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So let me ask, have there been any moments in your life where you knew that the decision you were about to make was going to significantly and all-time impact the rest of your life? Anybody had or remember events like that in your life? Yeah, yeah. I titled my message this morning, All In. And we'll be looking at a common event, a storm in the life of Jesus and his disciples in a place in and around called, a place called the Sea of Galilee. Now, when I think of the term all in, and when I use that title, only one, human, one person in human history demonstrated what that truly means. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ, who from the moment he arrived on this earth, he himself was all in to the point of death on a cross. And why did he do it? He did it to restore humanity to a loving relationship with himself and our Heavenly Father. Perfect execution on God's all-in decision. As I look back on my own life, I look back and I, I saw three. Three significant life events that demanded an all-in decision. The first of those was I was a junior at the University of Missouri ROTC program. And I want to put this so I don't kick it over. And in your junior year, you have to make the decision to sign the contract, which will then obligate you to finish the ROTC program, but then also obligate you to six years active service in the Marine Corps. It was an all-in decision. So I did. I signed that contract and went on to serve in the Marine Corps. I was a helicopter pilot for nine years. A life-changing event, an all-in event for me. And then the second life-changing event, who would have known it was going to happen literally less than one year from that decision when I'd be sitting, standing on an altar much like this one in my hometown church, and I was going to say I do to the most amazing woman I've ever met. I rehearsed this over and over, and I still choke up on it. I don't know what it is. That was 45 years ago. And you know, I brought in a couple pictures of that, and I'm sure some of you are already thinking, like, man, they look exactly the same. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing how they just look the same. Now, how many people here are married? You know, show hands if people are married. So you especially all know that even though you're all in, like getting married, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect or that you're not going to, at one point in time, disappoint or fail the other person. You, I mean, you all get that, right? Yeah. Well, uh, even though I am, in fact, all in committed, have been, always will be to Prue, the truth is I've had my own moments. And at that point, I thought Prue was sure going to say amen. So I thought back, like, what was one of those moments that, you know, you wonder, like, how did this survive, right? So I, w I used to teach a Bible study when I was at flight school and for young couples in our, in our house on Friday nights. On this particular Friday night, we decided that we weren't going to do a Bible study. We were going to play the newlywed game. Now, I mean, Prue said, you need to explain the newlywed game because this is like generations ago. But I mean, everybody understands the newlywed game, right? It's like 
They bring in the newly couples and they ask the men to guess what their wives are going to pick. And, and then they bring the wives in and they ask them what their husband pick. And the one who gets the most points at the end of the game, do you remember how it ended? It says that they will win a prize especially selected for them. Remember that? That's like, so we decided to play the newlywed game. So each couple brought their questions and we start, the ladies leave the room and I am the first person to get the question, and I am not exaggerating one word of this story. So some people embellish. I'm telling you, I'm not embellishing one word of this story. I'm the first one. The first question is, who is your ideal woman? I knew that answer right away. Because in 1979, one of the top shows on TV was Charlie's Angels. And I thought that Jacqueline Smith was just the cat's meow. Not, not Farrah Fawcett, Jacqueline Smith. So I really thought Prue knew that. So <laughs> Jacqueline Smith. So we did the rest of the questions. The ladies come back out, and Prue is the first question. So Prue, who did your husband say is his ideal woman? Again, I'm not going to exaggerate one word. Prue beams. Her hands go over her head like a little halo. She looks at me and says, me. I go, Prue, ideal woman. It's not. The look she gave me, I will never forget. And some of you are wondering, like, how did our marriage survive? And what made it even worse, for those who really know me, how competitive I am, what really made it bad was all three other lieutenants said, my wife, my wife, my wife. And I said, oh, what a wretched man that I am. So what does that mean? It means that even though you're all in, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect or that you're not going to have a time of a moment. I'll just call it a moment. Now, my third life-changing event, well, you'll just have to stay tuned a little bit, and I'll tell you that at the end of our message. This morning, I want us to examine the powerful story about Jesus walking on the water and some life-changing events to a guy named Peter and a bunch of disciples and really for a bunch of people, everyday people like us. My outline for this message is real simple. For those who like to take notes, real simple. Three observations. Three observations that I believe could have serious implications for our own lives. But first, some background. Really important to this particular story. So right before this, Jesus walking on the water, you need to know that Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fishes. And the disciples were there. They saw Jesus in action. He saw their, his power, and they witnessed it, all right? Second, you need to know that this story is set on the Sea of Galilee. Now, you probably didn't know this, so something you can share at a next party. The Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake below sea level, 13 miles long, eight miles wide, basically the size of Washington, D.C., which is why it's such a big lake. They call it a sea. But it, the unique thing about it, it is, like I say, the largest body water below sea level. It is basically 700 feet below sea level. So the surrounding territory around the lake is significantly higher. So winds from the east in particular could come through and create violent storms on that body of water. And they can crop up at any moment in time. Another important note, background note on this story is, this was not the first storm that the disciples had encountered with Jesus. 
In fact, in Matthew 8, Matthew records a more violent storm. And in that storm, we find Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. And there, the disciples cried out to Jesus, oh, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus gets up, and it says in the story that he calmed the winds and the waves, but then uses the same line in that situation as we read in our story, which is, he tells the disciples, you of little faith. My final background note to this story is that prior to this event, Matthew records 19 separate miracles of Jesus doing various healings, relief from demon possession, even resurrection of a ruler's dead daughter. My point in telling you this is, these disciples have had now multiple opportunities to see the power of Jesus at work, and you would think by the time this story, this storm, they, they, they would not fear yet another storm. But we know that is just not the case. Why? Because they're just like you and me. So now, let's go back to our story and my first observation. Jesus sees us in our storms, especially those he, as a loving, compassionate, and caring God that he is, he may have required us to encounter. That may be tough to hear, but Jesus sees us in our storms. So one of the techniques that I use uh, when I read my Bible and apply it to my life is I often will ask questions about whatever I'm reading at that particular moment. So in this story, the thing that kept jumping out, I literally woke up in the middle of the night thinking like, why did Jesus say in verse 20 that he made the disciples get into the boat? Now, now think about this. Jesus had to make the disciples do anything? I mean, come on, it's Jesus. But it says he made them. In fact, I looked up the Greek word for that word made, and, and Matthew used a very forceful word here. The Greek word literally is he compelled or forced or to demand or really insist. So I'm thinking, why would Jesus have to make the disciples get in the boat? And there, there are some good reasons why he could. But then the other question is, is that how? How did Jesus make them get into the boat? Okay? Those are the two questions I came up with. So first on the why. Well, the disciples maybe didn't want to leave Jesus on that side of the lake. I mean, it was a far, long trip, and they didn't want to leave him alone. So they were kind of insistent, like, you know, come on, Jesus, get in the boat, and, and said, no, 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 go. Uh, maybe it's because at least three of those disciples, at least three of them were experienced fishermen, and they knew that lake quite well, and they could read the storm warnings, and they saw those warnings, and they didn't want any part of it. Their experience told them, don't want to go on that. But Jesus said, no, you got to go. Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus had a bigger lesson to teach the disciples, and the upcoming storm was the perfect backdrop to teach that lesson. I choose the last answer. That seems consistent with how Jesus works. But then there's the how. How did Jesus get them into the boat? Now, did he threaten them maybe with no bread and water for you know, a week? I mean, they had just experienced him feeding 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. So he says, hey, no Uber Eats for a week if you don't get in the boat. Well, he could have done that, but that doesn't seem like Jesus' style. Maybe, just maybe, he used the technique we see in parenting these days, which is, guys, get in the boat. One, two, don't let me get to three. Again, I don't see that. That's Jesus' style. 
Or did he simply insist with accompanying words that I'll be okay and so will you too. So will you too. But you got to get into the boat. Again, I choose the last answer. Our story says that Jesus sent the disciples off and he went up to dismiss the crowd that he had just fed and then went up to the mountainside to pray by himself. Now, the gospel of Mark's account of this same story says that while he was, they were still far off, he saw them struggling against the wind and the waves. And I'm sure those disciples, after rowing literally for hours, are thinking, are we going to make it? Is this storm going to be our end? And Jesus, where are you? You're not sleeping in the back of boat this time. You're not even here. Now, some of you this morning may, in fact, be in a storm right now. Maybe the COVID crisis has created a variety of storms for you and your family. Maybe health, relationships, social issues, or work storms are hitting you hard, and you're asking the very same questions. How am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? How much longer can I endure this storm? And Jesus, Jesus, where the heck are you when I need you? I mean, come on, this omnipotent and powerful God, why did you, you control things, why did you send me out into this storm to begin with? Those are all fair questions if you're in that storm, but unfortunately, I don't have the answers to those. But I do, I can tell you this, this camera one, I want you to zoom in on this because I want the people online to hear it as well. Jesus sees you in the midst of your storm, and he knows you're struggling at the oars. He has not abandoned you. He sees you right where you are. Which brings me to observation number two. Jesus comes to meet us in our storms, but as the loving, caring, omnipotent God that he is, it will be on his time and by his means. Let me say that again. Jesus comes to meet us in our storms, but it'll be on his schedule and by his terms. Our story tells us that Jesus um, stayed behind until the fourth watch. What's that? Well, that's about between three o'clock and four and six o'clock in the morning when the lake is really the darkest of dark. And you may have asked yourself when you're in the midst of the dark of the dark, Jesus, when are you coming to save me? God, where are you? God, help me. And again, I don't know the specific, and I don't have a specific answer for your solution, but I do know this, that Jesus will come and help you through your storm on his perfect time. And his message to us will be exactly the same message that he gave to those disciples that early morning. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Say it with me. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Probably the best example of Jesus' perfect timing is found in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. When he heard his friend Lazarus was, was um, sick, and he waited two days before he went to see his friend. And along the way, he's met by Lazarus' two siblings, Martha and Mary who basically charge him with negligence when they both said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, what they were really saying is, Jesus, I'm blaming you for my brother's death. I have to ask, have I ever done that? Have you ever done that? 
blame God when he didn't show up when we wanted him to and do what we wanted him to do? Guilty. So let's review. So you'll know the two absolute truths about Jesus and how he deals with some storms in some of our lives. First, he sees us in our storms. And some of those storms he orchestrates for his purposes and our good. And two, he comes to us through those storms, but will be on his schedule, not ours. So let's now move to observation number three. Jesus saves and restores us when we fail, even after our all-in commitments to him. Let me say it again. Jesus saves us and restores us when we fail. Not if we fail. When we fail. You got that? Even after our all-in commitments to him. So back to our Matthew story. Once the disciples recognize that it's Jesus walking on the water, only one of them has the chutzpah, the audacity, the faith, to ask Jesus to go out and walk on water to him. Who does that? Peter. Of course, Peter. I mean, he's always doing stuff like that. Can you imagine the scene? He sees Jesus. He asks a question. And what does Jesus reply with that question? Simply, come. Come. That's it. Come. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, you better pray a lot before you step out of that boat. Or you better get your act together. Or Peter, you know that thing you did? No. Jesus doesn't work like that. He just says, come. An all-in moment for Peter. And what does he do? He gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. But Mark described it the best when he says, when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became fearful and started to sink and cries out to Jesus, help me. And immediately, the story says, immediately, Jesus is there to reach out and save Peter. But then adds at the end, which is, some of us might think this is almost cold. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And again, I think about that, what Jesus said to Peter, little faith. I mean, come on, he just stepped out of a boat and walked on water. If that's little faith, then guess what, guy? I'm doomed. If that's little faith, then what's big faith? If that's little faith, then... How much faith do any of us have to have? Because to be perfectly honest with you, putting myself in that story, there's no way I would have stepped out on that boat. I wouldn't. My little faith wouldn't even have been enough to do that. But here's the key, probably the key of this message. Little faith, even all in faith, does not always mean sustained faith or being perfect, which means we can, in fact, fall short. We can fail. And in the case of Peter, if you know his whole story, even deny who Jesus is, and yet Jesus comes and saves and restores him. And he did it immediately. And he did it for Peter. And guess what? He's going to do it for you and me because he's not going to let us go down with the little faith that we have either. Which brings me to a question. In our moments of little faith, the times we do fail, do we call on Jesus to save us? Do I call on Jesus to save me? Because if you do, if I do, he will. Why? Because he is faithful. He is loving. He has proven himself time after time after time that he will restore and save. 
Which now brings me to my third most important all event life for me. I was a sophomore in high school, attending a midweek revival at my small Baptist church in the small town of St. James, Missouri. So all you students on 1025, you're listening. Remember, I was a teenager once, okay? So just remember that. I was sitting up on the balcony, and there was a visiting preacher, and he quoted Luke 18, 17, when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So I'm thinking, like, how much faith does a little child have? Well, at least a little, right? That night, and I'll try not to get choked up, that night, I knew that storm was not out there on some lake. It wasn't some family crisis or health crisis or a girlfriend crisis. No, that storm was happening right here because I knew of Jesus, but I also know he wasn't the savior of my soul. He wasn't the Lord of my life. And that night, that night, I heard his call. And the following Sunday morning, I stepped out out of an aisle in a big church and walked to the front in front of everybody and gave my life to Christ as the Savior of my soul. It was the most significant, most important, most life-changing all-in moment of my life. I was all in then, and I'm all in now. Now, that little faith at that time was enough to save me for eternity. Even though I could literally spend the next three months of sermons telling you how many times and how often I failed Jesus, just like Peter, just like I do on occasion to my wife. All in, but not perfect. And you know what? That's okay with Jesus. So for those out there hearing and watching on live stream who are already Christ followers, I want you to think back on the day you responded to Christ's call to come to him. Just think about that. I would hope I'd see a lot of smiles right now because you remember that call, right? But now for those same group, I want you to remember all the times since that all-in commitment that you made, all the times that Jesus either saved you or guided you through your storm. He is faithful and he loves you. And I pray this morning you will listen to his additional call on your life and worship him, just like the disciples did in that boat. For some of you today, God may be calling you to step out of your boat with your little faith and follow Jesus in a new and different way. Maybe it's time to get involved, more involved at Christ Church. Maybe it's time to forgive that person who is truly unforgivable. Maybe it's time to teach a children's Sunday school class or get involved in a Bible study or a C3 group. And maybe God's telling you that you should take Harry out to lunch. You know, you never know. But whatever he's telling you this morning, I know that that, that challenge may be a little scary to you. But I've got to remind you what he told the disciples. Remember, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus and his spirit is with you. Now, for the others listening to my voice this morning who have not yet responded to Jesus' call, I get it. I was there. And maybe you're in your specific storm of life right now. I just want you to remember the three points I've made this morning. One, Jesus sees you in your storm. He knows how difficult your row is. He hasn't abandoned you. Two, 
Jesus will come to meet you in your storm on his schedule. And maybe, just maybe, this morning is that time where he's calling you to come to him. And finally, point three, Jesus will save you. Regardless of your past failures or your times of unbelief or even the faith that you have, you just have to ask. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm 138, verse 7 tells us, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. Like Peter, if you call out, Lord, save me, he will immediately. He won't ask you to clean up your life first or memorize a Bible verse, or even make a commitment to come back to church next week. Jesus just won't do that. He'll just say, come to me. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to have a relationship with him, with with whatever faith that you have, and be saved into eternal life. That's what he wants of you. If this is something you want to do this morning, you out there in electronic land, I'm going to ask you to do two more things. First, I'm going to ask everyone here and online, I just want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Live stream people do the same. I know you're in your pajamas, but just bow your head. Close your eyes and listen to Jesus' call from Hebrews 4.7. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Second, I just want you to acknowledge God's call on your life right now by simply raising your hand. Everybody's got their eyes closed, heads down. Nobody's watching. Nobody sees this but me. But I'm going to ask you to acknowledge that you hear this call to come by simply raising your hand. You online, I want you to go on your chat box and just type in all in. You know, to do that, to raise your hand, thank you for those who did that. I know it's scary. God knows it's scary. I mean, what are you getting yourself into? But you need to hear what the disciples heard that morning. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus and his spirit is with you. Now, for those who raised their hand or typed in all in on the live stream, please pray with me and the rest of you pray along with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into the midst of my storms, those around me or those within me. Today, I come to you asking that you will save me and forgive me for all the wrongs I've ever done or will ever do. Today, I give my life to you and ask that your Holy Spirit come into my life. Thank you for loving me, saving me, and becoming my Lord. I give my life all into you this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.